The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 335 for Wednesday, June 8th, 2011. Good evening, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you ask the questions. We help provide the answers, we all share our tips with each other, and in a general sense, we just learn something new about the Mac and the Apple, and the Apple, and Apple, each time. Here, from my hotel room in San Francisco, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, uh, hot Fairfield, Connecticut, <laughs> uh, John F. Braun. Yeah, so uh, yeah, you've been having warmer weather back uh, on the East Coast than I've been having out here. Uh, of course, I'm out here in San Francisco for WWDC this week. I attended the keynote and uh, have been to a bunch of sessions since then, and uh, it's been a very it's been a very enlightening time. There are there is a lot going on. It's you know it's the first time where we've had major iOS and Mac OS. I'm sorry, major iOS and major OS 10 releases happening almost simultaneously. And and you'll notice I corrected myself, John. It is no longer Mac OS 10. It is OS 10. Oh, oh! This is a. Well, I guess that that means they're getting rid of the Mac, huh? Uh, well, they've certainly dropped it from the name of the operating system. <laughs> well, it's the same, kind of the same operating system. What do you mean? It's uh, on on. Well, uh, like, I, iOS is portion. Uh, as far as I know, iOS is a subset of. Actually, they are. Um, they both share the same foundation. Um, right. Yeah, they, that's they, what I meant. Yeah, but but I don't. I wouldn't say subset is even the right thing because iOS uh, right. Uh, iOS has things that Mac OS X doesn't have, and Mac OS X has things that iOS don't, doesn't have. But they but because they're totally based on the same core foundation, uh, right. they can share technologies back and forth, and so stuff that they develop for iOS. You know, we've seen a lot of that come in in uh, into our multi touch trackpads and and that sort of thing, and then obviously everything that was done on Mac OS X prior was just there for the taking for iOS, which, which really, you know, I mean, I, I know it's part of Jobs' marketing speech and all that stuff, but, but it really does give Apple the ability to innovate and, and get a two-for-one almost in that sense, which is cool. Sure. But no, I, th- I thought it was good that, uh, yeah, I think a lot of people felt that they, they kind of shunned the uh, OS X side at the, at the last uh, gathering. But now it sounds like, uh, are the sessions uh, balanced between the two also? Because I think it was... It was heavily slanted towards iOS last time, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I mean, that, we knew that out of the gate last time, right? I mean, they they kind of told everybody coming in that this is you know more about iOS than macOS, but or, yeah, which was macOS at the time. Um, but yeah, no, this time it's it's definitely balanced, and um, and and definitely uh, you know the attendees. I, I'd say if I had to pick, probably probably the iOS sessions are more well attended than macOS, but. That doesn't. It doesn't really mean anything other than uh, the people that were able to. The people that jumped on getting their tickets faster were the iOS developers, right? This thing sold out in like seven hours or something ridiculous like that. So, yeah. I, it, you know, I, I, I it, it wasn't on sale long enough for for the mix to actually be defined for me for my sake. You know, by the market, it was more. You know, these are the people that jumped faster. So. Um, I was at Stump the Experts last night, which is this silly, silly thing they do every year at WWDC. 
and 90% of the room uh, when they asked had never been to a Stump the Experts before. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean they haven't been to WWDC, but it probably means they haven't been to WWDC, which is really, really telling. So, But, you know, it's been a good show. Uh, in fact, we have some uh, we have some questions about Lion. Uh, but first, I want to talk about our first sponsor, which is from Smile Software, and I, I am doing this from our our uh, my, my hotel room here. So you've probably already noticed that our audio is different than it normally is, slightly, uh, because we're using I'm using a different setup. John's on the same setup, and uh, and there'll be some little delays because. I just have to get things moving, and I've got this interesting setup, which I'll talk about a little bit. Uh, but Text Expander from Smile Software, or from Smile at smilesoftware.com. So the concept behind Text Expander is that it allows you to define snippets, little bits of data. Uh, certainly could be text. They can include images. They can include rich text. And the idea is things that you type or use over and over again are very tedious to type and retype over and over again. So you type it once into Text Expander, you assign it a little shortcut key, and then whenever you need to fill it out, you just type the shortcut key and boom, you get it. Things like your signature, things like uh, you know the signature at the end of an email, things like your address. You know, I do this all the time, John. I have your address and my address in there. When somebody says they want to send us, uh, you know, some product to review. I say, great, and I put in my little snippet, and it puts both of our addresses out there. I don't need to worry, A, I don't need to worry about typing it, and B, I don't need to worry about fat-fingering anything and, you know, sending it to, you know, 334 instead of 338 for you or, what you know, whatever it is. I don't even have to think. In fact, I don't even know if either one of those is correct for your address because I don't think about it. I just type the little thing, and out it comes, and I know it's right because I checked it the first time. Uh, so it's really cool, and on the Mac, Text Expander works in any app that you've got going, which is just fantastic. They've also gone and uh, made Text Expander for the iPhone and iPad, and it's Text Expander Touch. Uh, and they've got tons and tons, you know, over a hundred different apps that support Text Expander. And so you, you go into Text Expander, you can sync your favorites down from your Mac, and then you just have them in all these apps. And I mean, there are apps like, like Twitilator, uh, Note and Share, uh, Blog Press, right? The uh, uh, Osfora, which is another Twitter client. Great places for, for, using, uh, for using those sorts of things. To Do, Busy To Do supports it. Uh, it, it. Just tons and tons of these things. So you really, you know, you can, you can have this one list of snippets that you can just move back and forth. And it works really, really well. Text Expander Touch, uh, which you need to enable Text Expander in all of these other apps, is one ninety nine, of course, from Apple's uh, App Store uh, on on your iPhone or or in iTunes, and then Text Expander on your Mac is thirty four ninety five. But of course, uh, you can go to smilesoftware.com and download a free trial. So that is Text Expander from Smile. And with that, John, let's. Uh, Let's go on to Kevin's question here, and I'm I'm pulling it up because I'm just not quite at home with this setup. You know, we've we've chickened out on doing podcasts, and and I'll I'll, I'll admit it. We it's it's been that we've been chicken. Uh, we've chickened out on doing podcasts when we've been traveling lately. We've just organized our schedule so that we don't have to. But uh, 
but it is good to do this, and uh, especially timely with everything that's gone on here with the you know the announcements at WWDC and all that. So I'm I'm glad we're doing this, and uh, we'll stop. Uh, hopefully, it'll it'll get a lot smoother. Kevin writes, uh, I've read claims from reliable Mac news site news sites stating that while there will be no family pack pricing for Lion, that the copy-protected download will be good for everyone in the same household. That is true. That is true. Uh, 29 bucks, and, uh, and it's good for everybody in your household. Uh, however, this means that the multi-Mac family would need to allow one user to log in with their Apple ID in the Mac App Store on all the computers. In some families, this is not going to fly because the child or spouse does not want the other family members logging into the App Store with a different account. Over the next few months, I will certainly be helping some multiple Mac families upgrade to Lion. Unless I know that one person regularly has access to both Macs, i.e. a desktop and a MacBook, I'm going to tell them that upgrading will cost $30 for Lion per Mac to eliminate potential conflicts in the home. What do you think? Okay, uh, this, is, this is a great question because it allows us to clear up some misunderstanding. You do not need to have the Mac uh, authenticate with the App Store to install Lion, you need to have the Mac authenticate with the App Store to download Lion. So you, you have a couple of ways that you can do this. Number one is that you could go on each Mac, log into the App Store with whatever the main account that you want to, or the, the single account that you want to use is, and then uh, you know pull that pull Lion down and, and install it. From what I understand, when you install Lion, and Lion's coming out soon, you know, we're, we're looking at about a month, maybe a month and a half. When you install Lion, uh, it, it, it does it, as Apple said, it does it all through the App Store, right? There's no DVD. It downloads it and does the install right there. You don't need to boot from separate media. You don't need to do anything. And when the install's done, uh, the way I understand it is that the installer will disappear, uh, so you won't have that installer anymore. But before you launch the installer and after it's finished downloading, you can make a copy of the installer. And in fact, that's what Apple recommends in a situation like you're describing. And then you can bounce that installer from machine to machine. It's fairly large. You, it's you know I think it's going to be what did they say four gigs or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you you know you need some flash drive or a network drive or you know some way of bouncing it around. But as long as you save that installer then you can go ahead and install it on the other machines and you don't need to be logged into your App Store account to do so. So, so what Apple said is true. It's $29, bucks, $29.99. Uh, and, then, and then you're good to go. Is that, is it, 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 did, I, did I get that right? As far, again, as far as we know, you know, everything that we've got from Apple is, is, is based on where things are right now and, and you know, any of this could possibly change, but I don't think this particular part of it is going to. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think you answered it to the, based on the information that's publicly available. I've got to say I'm not happy about an aspect of this, and maybe that leads to our next question. I, I, I don't want to spoil it. All right, but yeah. Well, a part of this that I don't like. Let, let, yeah, let's, ask, uh, let's ask Scott's question, which is, which is a good question. Uh, Scott writes, when I update to Lion, will I be able to do a clean install of Lion and then from my time machine backed up, uh, back up, install any of my programs and other data? I'm worried about going from Snow Leopard to Lion that the programs and other things might not work right. So, it, 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 John, before we answer his, uh, his question, it, it just, is this the concern that you were concerned with? Well, yeah, in that uh, there doesn't seem to be... Uh, it, they said the only way that this is going to be distributed 
Well, they didn't say they wouldn't release it on DVD, or did they? But I, I have always wanted to have the comfort of having a bootable DVD where I could install the OS fresh. And right. It sounds like they're moving away from that, which I, I don't know if... It sounds like it's dependent on, on downloading it from the App Store, so I, I don't know if I'm really crazy about that. I, I'd like the option to be able to make it a bootable DVD. Yeah. In case something terrible happens. What yeah. If you, what if your system's toast and you can't boot it and run the App Store? Right. Or you're not on the internet to download. Right. Exactly. So I see a lot of situations where uh, I, it sounds like a very convenient way to do it, but well, you know, this brings up an issue of just you know all this cloud-based stuff in general. Is that if if your network connection is busted, you're you, you may be. Uh, <laughs> yeah, or it, what if you lose your your admin password, right? And and currently, the way you you solve that is you boot from your OS DVD and use it to reset your admin password, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and there's other ways to do that. Single user mode certainly affords you the way to do that if you know the prop the proper incantation, which is the password command P A S S W D. Uh, for those of you that have not done that, but uh, yeah, okay, so. There's a couple. There's a couple things to address for Scott's particular question. Someone has figured out. Uh, it's a site called Egg Freckles. That once you download this package that we talked about, the installer package that we talked about uh, when answering Kevin, Kevin's question, uh, they, they've they've kind of walked through and found that there is a disk image inside of the Lion installer. And if you make a bootable disk or if you, if you restore that image to removable media, i.e. a DVD or a, a uh, you know, USB drive or whatever, you will get a Lion boot disk. So, so this does exist somewhere. Now, as far as I've heard, there's, there's nothing that, that – you know, there's no facility that Apple has provided – that to do this but but again we're not, we're not talking about anything that's been released so it could be there once it, you know once the release is there but but there is this and we'll put a link in the show notes to it you know save the link away and uh if if all else fails once uh once lion comes out about this and so you know how to make a uh, a boot disk however what apple has said and they posted this great list of you know 254 features that are in in lion and and one of the things on that list is a restore partition. I think is what I, I forget what the exact term that they use for it is, but uh, but you will be able to when when Lion installs, it will create a separate bootable partition on your hard drive that that's a maintenance partition. So you can do those things like resetting the password or reinstalling if you have to. Uh, this doesn't solve the issue of if my drive is toast, what do I do? Uh, or if you know, but 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 it, it's but short of the drive failing, it 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 kind of helps you with all those other things at at the cost of taking up some space, right? Um, I'm with you, and actually, Apple uh, reading over that article, Apple does provide the facility to create the disk, in that you take a disk image file and use disk utility to burn a disk, which is something you could always do. But here, I, I guess the, the trick is you have to dig into that installer package to find the disk image file that you then burn right. the DVD. Right. Yeah, and p- potentially maybe it is, maybe that's the source of the restore partition. And that is what they call it on this, uh, on this uh, 250 new feature list in, in Lion. So, uh, All right. A question that will lead us to recommending Lion, uh, but wasn't asked that way out of the gate is uh, 
this one from Christopher. And Christopher writes, I recently installed an SSD in my MacBook Pro, and let me tell you, this is the most significant performance increase I think I've ever seen in my Mac IT career. In fact, the performance is so great that it's got me thinking about either using FileVault or PGP whole disk encryption. I wouldn't do it before due to the potential performance hit associated with either one or length of time needed to encrypt the whole disk. If you have explored FileVault or PGP whole disk encryption now that you're on an SSD and if you were even able to perceive any kind of performance hit. Uh, I have not, but Pilot Pete has, and, uh, and he said the performance hit is almost unnoticeable. In fact, I think, I, I, I think you can drop the almost from that. It, it is unnoticeable. However, I have one word for you, Chris. Wait. And, 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 the, the, and, I'll, and then I'll follow that up with three words. So we're getting very verbose for a one-word answer. Uh, more specifically, wait for Lion. Referring back Why? to referring back to this uh, this this list that we found, uh, Lion has File Vault in it. But I need to stop everybody because File Vault certainly for me and, and I think for you, John, and and hopefully for most of our listeners, is uh, is this thing that we approach with great trepidation because there are certain circumstances in which it works, and then there are everything else, and it's a total freaking disaster uh well uh, but it it's limited it's a good first cut but my understanding is what file vault is doing so one it's limited to your home directory and number two i think what it's really doing behind the scenes is creating an encrypted disk image and so you need ample extra disk space in order to use the current version of file vault so if he's talking an ssd which are typically tiny you may not have a lot of lot of wiggle room in order to even do the current implementation of uh, of FileVault. That's right. But yeah, it's kind of a hack. It, 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 it as far as I know, what I described is how it does it, and it's not it, not the right way to do it. If anything, it's the way I think you know PGP full disk does it, which is it encrypts the whole disk. It doesn't play any tricks with with disk images or requiring all this extra disk space. Right, right. I, I th- and I think that's I think that's right. Uh, However, there is something in Lion called FileVault, but they call it FileVault to forget everything you know about FileVault when you're coming into this. FileVault 2 is full disk encryption. That's all that it is. It's not your home folder. It's not, you know, some disk image disaster. Uh, it is full disk encryption for either your boot drive or external drives uh and it is uh you know from from what uh, from what we hear it is fast it's smooth you know it it's done the apple way right which is the user doesn't know what's going on you say i want my stuff to be uh safe and they say okay and that's that you know that that's that's kind of the apple's whole whole mo over there so yeah, File Vault Two is is most likely your answer, Chris, and and I see a lot of people potentially using this, John, uh, because you know on a laptop, you want your stuff to be secure. You want to you want to know that just like Pete, right? I mean, he's traveling constantly. He wants to know that if his laptop gets stolen, that's all that he's worried about is that a piece of hardware was stolen. There's no scratching his head over, uh oh, you know what. What data is somebody going to get into? Do I need to change all my credit cards? You know, you, you don't want to go through that headache. You just want to, you know, accept that it was stolen, either file an insurance claim or not, and go replace the laptop and move on, right? So, uh, so yeah, FileVault 2 is, is your answer there, Chris. 
Are you going to, so with that, John, are you going to file vault your, uh, your laptop? With Lion, I, I, I don't see why not, because it, you know, it's not a kludge. Right, exactly. It, and, and you know that it will be supported in each point update to the OS. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. And I like where it really mentioned also that uh, external drives are supported as well. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. That's good stuff. Um, they say that the initial encryption is fast and non-intrusive. So, you know, that, 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 that's clearly marketing speak. But let's see if it holds true. Uh, anything else from this list of uh, of, of Lion stuff? I, I, I know it, it just came out yesterday, and I'm not sure how much of it you've uh, you've had the the option to go through. Or the, the but uh, just figured we'd you know chat about it a little bit if if there was anything out here. Um, I I want to talk a little bit about autosave. Um, oh yes, okay. That that was uh, the the one thing I have to reflect on is. I think a lot of people said this is uh you're in good company if uh Apple uh puts out a feature in the OS that puts you out of business. Cuz a lot of things they're putting in here is stuff that's been available in third-party utilities uh some for a long time, some for a short time. Like for example, we've covered I don't remember off the top of my head, but there are utilities that in the background will do an autosave. Right, right. So Apple is bringing a lot of uh, they're bringing it into the OS which, you know, is a good thing for people that use a Mac, maybe not so good a thing for people that make software that, that did this sort of thing yeah that's right yeah uh so uh, yeah with with autosave my first thought was right back to the you know mid to late 90s and microsoft words quick save right word word 97 i think it was maybe even word 95 had this quick save thing and it wasn't an autosave as much as it was we found a way to just go ahead and save the uh, differences versus what you previously had and what changes you've made. So the saves happen faster. And this was done because people were saving to much, much slower disks. Even saving to a hard disk back then, you know, it was much slower 15 years ago than it is now. Uh, so, so they did this. And it was great, except that what they did was they saved the first version as a full version. And then just saved incremental updates on top on top of it and packaged it all into this one file. And so to open the file, Word had to traverse through this series of updates and find the first one and then iterate all the changes and and display your document for you. And and that was fine unless you know it wasn't and your document got corrupted and then you were horked because you know you couldn't read and there were third party utilities that might or might not be able to read quick save documents. So you know everybody had to go into Word and turn off quick save. And as Apple explained autosave, they were saying, of course, two things. Number one, it's saving automatically, but, but it's also saving versions. And, of course, we're being smart about it. They say, so we're going to save only the changes. And, and, again, on paper, this is great, great stuff, but it made me think, oh, no, you know, here we go again. Uh, but from what I understand, it's actually much smarter because instead of having the only complete copy being the first one, with this, the only complete copy is the last one. And so all of your previous versions are delta changes off of that. And if there were to be some problem with the file, uh, the complete version is the most recent one, and that's what you want. So, uh, so hopefully this is you know, autosave and, and revisions and versions done right. 
we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll have to see, of course, but, but that's, you know, that it, it, I have, I have faith in it this time. I don't know. Yeah. And another one that caught my attention, which is, uh, I think similar, goes hand in hand is, is, uh, app resume. Yeah. So you think of it kind of makes, I mean, it's almost like you expect right now when you put your Mac to sleep and you open it up, it, it's not, if you have it set up this way, it's not pulling things out of a file and taking forever. It's just back to the state it was in. And now they're just extending it to applications, which uh, may take some getting used to. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I worry about that from a troubleshooting standpoint, John. Uh, there's a lot of times where I quit an app for good reason. Right. Uh, you know, and and my whole point in relaunching it is to not have it do the thing it was doing when I decided I needed to quit it. Again, that's that's it's that's not most of the time, but it it is certainly some of the time where we all say, "All right, screw it, I'm going to quit Safari and relaunch," and and I know my world is going to be happier. Well, not necessarily if it's going to bring back all the same stuff I had. So, uh, so I I hope that's you know again it's it, that's going to be one of those things that. The details are in the implementation, and uh, and and the same with rebooting. Right, you reboot your Mac, and it just comes back and reopens all your apps, and boom, 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 boom. It's like, wow, you know. Sometimes we reboot so that we don't do that, but no, it'll. But again, it you know it could be convenient. Would be really nice if there was a software update that had to happen, and it happened in the middle of the night, and the machine needed to reboot, and it rebooted, and you get back to your desk in the morning, and you had no idea that your machine rebooted. That's cool, right? So there's 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 flip sides to this. Yeah, and another one that that I think is neat and uh, you know, like I mentioned, may put some people out of business. Windows migration. Mm-hmm. So it'll bring uh, so it'll bring even more Windows people into the fold, at least as far as you know, transferring your your information over. I, I think that's pretty slick. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. All right, our second sponsor for this show, John, is Circus Ponies at circusponies.com with Notebook. Uh, Notebook is an app. Uh, for your Mac and or your iPad. Uh, the two can operate together or exclusively from one another. The idea behind this is when you launch it, you see a white line notebook on your screen and you can start typing immediately into it. Say you've got uh, an event you're organizing or a class you're taking uh, or you probably, and I don't do this, but you could, you know, for a podcast you're doing, any, any sort of presentation you're putting on, something where you need to take a collection of uh, bits and pieces of data from lots of different sources and organize them and keep them together, coalesce them all so that you've got them in one spot to, to, to then begin your work. Right, you know, if you're taking a class, you want to have your class notes, which maybe your teacher gives you as a PDF, or uh, you know, you, you can take notes in class. You can put audio recordings in here so that you've got, you know, maybe the the audio recording of a lecture, and then right on that same page, right with the audio recordings, you've got all your notes for that class. So you've got everything in one spot. Uh, you can, if you pull in a PDF, you can annotate it. You can uh, put stickies on things. You can make notes. And when you do, it knows not only what you've created, but when you've created it. So you can say, gosh, you know, I, I did something last Wednesday. I was going back through notes, and I can't remember which notes it, it was from, but I know I did it last Wednesday because that was the same day that, uh, you know, I stubbed my toe. And, uh, and I remember I put on the calendar that I stubbed my toe. I don't know why you would do that, by the way. Uh, but you might. 
And, uh, and so then you could you go back and say, what did I do last Wednesday? And you find the little note. It, it uses its multi-dex and, and finds your little note right there in, uh, in Notebook. Of course, the cool part with the iPad app is you can take your notes on the iPad remotely, sync them all back to your Mac or not. Simply leave them on your iPad and use them there or vice versa. Anything you create on the Mac, you can sync out to the iPad so you just have all the data with you all the time. Uh, notebook for the Mac is available from circusponies.com. You can, of course, download a uh, free trial, and then it's 50 bucks. Well, you save a nickel, $49.95 when you're ready to purchase. If you are a student or involved in academia, uh, likely you qualify for their academic pricing of $29.95. And notebook for the iPad is $29.99, available through Apple's App Store, because that's how you get iPad apps. And with that, John... It's time for Julie. It seems like we get this question every year right around this time. And, uh, and Julie says, I'm a teacher, and I notice there is not a good seating chart app on the Mac for teachers. I would like to create one, but don't have any background in coding. What books or websites would you recommend that would help me learn Xcode so that I can write my own app? Uh, last year, and John, you, 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 wait, you know what? I, I'm, I'm going to jump in here. Yeah, first. go. I don't know if I would recommend Xcode to do something like this, Dave. Well, don't you have to use Xcode for uh, for development on the Mac and for iOS these days? I don't believe so. Uh, certainly for iOS you do. Uh, uh, certainly for iOS, uh, absolutely. But um, unless Real is not making their product anymore. Mm. Uh, no, they still are. Okay. No, the reason I like, uh, and it's called Real Basic now. I think it's migrated to something called a Real Studio. I haven't used it in a while, but but when I did use it last, I liked it because it reminded me of. Uh, it was very similar in my mind to Visual Basic on the Windows platform, which, in my opinion, uh, the thing is, I uh, you know I think some people know this, but you know I, I have over. <laughs> 20 years of development experience on the Windows side and right. learning the Mac stuff. But to me, Visual Basic, and I remember teaching a number of interns and people getting started, I'm like, you want to make an app really quick without understanding a lot about programming fundamentals, check this out. And I had people literally create a functional application in five minutes using uh, Visual Studio or Visual Basic. Wow, that's pretty cool. Now, some may poo-poo it and say, well, you know, it's not real programming. But, but it's, as the name implies, it's very visual. You lay out your windows, your buttons. Uh, you, if you double-click on something, it links to an event that handles an action with that object. And it, to me, it was just very easy for someone to, to wrap their brain around and create something quickly. Now, it, it's limited. I mean, if you want to really dig into the, you know, the depths of the OS and, and learn every little API and function then yeah, Xcode I think would be the way to go. But I've also found Xcode, even putting together a simple app with uh, Interface Builder and all that, is a, a little kludgy. It's not as nice in, in that you still have to kind of poke around and do some things manually in order to link things in the Interface Builder to, to the actual code in, in a lot of cases. So one thing I could suggest is you may want to look at uh, Real Studio. Okay, okay, yep. All right, because for something like this, which sounds like a visual uh, type of application, it may be the way you want to go. And, uh, I, I'm, I would think they have that. Yep, yeah, try demo. So here, they have a demo. Go for it. Download the demo. Check it out. See if Real Studio uh, will help you get up to speed. Cool. 
All right. Now, so if she wanted to develop for iOS or wanted to learn uh, Mac OS uh, development that in a way could be ported over to, to iOS, then Xcode would, would be the, the, the right way to go. And, 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 you know, I have to preface this by saying I've never done any coding in Xcode. The only thing I know about it is what uh, either I hear from, uh, you know, developer friends or, or, or the like. And, of course, what Apple uh, pumps down my, uh, you know, direct into my brainstem here at WWDC. And, and everything that they say about Xcode is fantastic. And they announce some new feature. And, uh, and everybody in the room, you know, stands and applauds and weeps and uh, offers up their children because it's just fantastic. So... Uh, <laughs> Oh, you should see this. I mean, they announced some little thing, and it's like, oh, we've changed this about taking out the trash or whatever. And, I mean, everybody in the room is on their feet, and, and people are cheering. I mean, you, you'd think Gandhi walked into the room. Uh, so, uh, so, with that, if you do want to learn Xcode, these people, and these are, you know, the, the converts, clearly, uh, have recommended two books to me. One is Beginning Mac Programming by, I'm going to get his name wrong, so I'm going to pull it up. Uh, we'll put links in the Tim. show notes. Tim Isted. Tim. Yeah, that's right. And then, or is it Isted? I, I, I think it's... I have this book. So I have this book. Okay. I'm actually working my way through it. Yep. Uh, a, big, a big plus is it has a piece of apple pie with ice cream on the cover. Um, the, the only caution I would have with this is that... So I was learning... I started going through this book when there was Xcode 3. Now, of course, the latest version is Xcode 4. Right. For the most part, you can figure your way around. Uh, as far as I know, he hasn't come out with an update, but he does have, and link to it in the lovingly handcrafted show notes, but he does have a follow-up on the web that tells you uh, about the subtle differences between Xcode 3 and Xcode 4. Because there will be exercises. I mean, he steps you through a lot of things, but there are cases where Xcode 4 is just different. Sure, so sure. Just keep that in mind. But I, I found it's a very good book. It, it goes between giving you hands-on to build a basic application and tries to explain a lot of computer fundamentals like variables and signing and, and things that you, you'd otherwise have to learn in a computer science course. So, yeah, I, I, I'm still working my way through it, but I, I, I do like that title. Okay, cool. And then, of course, uh, there is uh, Learn Objective-C on the Mac from Scott Canaster, uh, i.e. Special K, and Mark Dalrymple. And uh, there were many, many Apple... Uh, experts on stage last night that credited Scott as being the one whose books taught them how to program. Uh, so, so yet another, you know, yet another good source. You can't, uh, I'm can't. looking on my bookshelf here, and I have how, how many books by Scott do you have? <laughs> uh, no, I, ha I have two of them on my shelf here. When I was uh, back learning uh, pre OS 10, sure, yeah, yeah, he's yeah, been doing this a long time. I, I see, I see two books. On my shelf here. That uh, so yeah, he's uh, he's certainly uh, an expert uh, and has been doing this for a real long time. So well well that, respected. Uh, I haven't looked at the title yet. I'll have to see if I can snag a copy. Cool. All right, uh, and we are going to move to Quentin now. Uh, Quentin's Quentin asks: Apple allows us to dual boot Windows and Snow Leopard on modern Mac systems with Boot Camp. What about a dual boot combo of Leopard and Snow Leopard or Snow Leopard and Lion? The reason I ask is I've heard some of my really old PowerPC-based software like Freehand MX may not run at all on Lion as the emulation support is set to be dropped. I occasionally need to access really old Freehand documents and, though th and thought that dual boot might come in handy. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Okay, yeah, so um, I don't see any reason why you couldn't do this with Snow Leopard and Leopard, and I also don't see any reason why you couldn't do this with Snow Leopard and Lion. 
you simply create two partitions on your Mac uh, and install one on one and one on the other. You're going to have to have two separate home directories simply because uh, the preferences and settings and data and all that uh, are, well, not, not, not necessarily the data, but certainly preferences and settings are different between the two. But you could create a third partition just for say for your documents and store all your documents there and access them from you know either side uh, i think that would be fine but but otherwise yeah i don't uh, john unless i'm missing something i don't i don't think there's any reason why you couldn't do this i mean it there's no facility to set it up other than you'd have to go into disk utility and create a dual partition uh, you know two partitions on your drive and and do the installs separately but otherwise i, I don't see why you couldn't right I'm with you, and, and the what you would want to use is something that not many people use on a regular basis, but if you're doing this, then you'd almost have to, which is called the Startup Manager. And, well, that's just a fancy name for when you start up the Mac. You hold down the Option key, and you will see a list of all the bootable partitions on the computer in question. Right, right. Or, or yeah, or use uh, uh, the Startup uh Sure. System preference pane, startup disk, right, and 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 choose it that way too. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know how crazy I'd be about sharing a a data partition between the two. If, as long as it's just documents. Hey, good. Your Skype oh, your yeah. Skype connection got better. It was it went it went it went poorly for a second. Oh, you were you were intelligible, so everything's good. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, you could share just documents. You know, I was thinking, you know, yeah, just just your documents. You don't want to share. Uh, preference files or anything, but but if you right just, or your home directory or something. No, like no, no. Yeah, it would just right, be right, right. documents. Yes, yes. Yeah, and I found I found people that have done this. So, uh, yeah. The only thing is, well, I guess the only problem is, do you have enough room? Uh, this utility does have a facility that can do a non-destructive repartition, mm-hmm. but it, it's conditional. And actually, I think I mentioned I did this in the past. But the problem is, if your data is spread all over the drive, then it's going to fail. It, it'll work swimmingly if all the data is on one part of the hard drive and all the free space is on the other part where you want to put the next partition. Right, right. Otherwise, like I mentioned, it'll fail. Now, a way to get around that is you may want to use something like, I, I think in my case, I use Drive Genius. You may want to do uh, optimization of your drive and shove all the data into one place. Then the repartition should work just fine. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, you... you I'm still, I know everybody talks about non-destructive repartitioning, and I've done it like you have, John, and it works fine, but I'm still not happy about the concept of it. So uh, it just it, it just doesn't feel right. You're taking, you know, it, it doesn't matter how good it is, it's still taking your data and moving it around. Now, the only place, and this would be interesting, um, on an SS... No, I, I think you're right. I think if you, it, it, it's doing some limited, not as much as an optimization of the drive. But yeah, it does, and and if it can't, if, I think what happens because I watched it. Some if it senses that it has to do too much uh, reshuffling of data, it, if the if the drive's too fragmented, then it just gives up and says, "I I, I can't do this." Yeah, right. right. Choose a smaller size is typically what it'll say. It's like I give up. Try to choose a smaller partition. I'll try this again, and maybe it'll work. Right, right. Yeah, but it just you know I wonder if on an SSD, especially as you know, Lion is supposed to have the ability to to know that you're on an SSD. I guess Snow Leopard has this too, depending on the SSD you're on. Of course, if you're on an Apple one, then it'll know. But 
you know, will disc because you don't need to move things around. You just simply need to, you know, mentally repartition the the drive. And and I I wonder if uh, if we're going to see more changes to that because that's a much safer operation instead of saying, uh, you know, actually physically defining partitions, which is what happens on a right. on a mechanical drive. And you're saying, you know, this spot on this drive is either part of partition A or part of part, you know, or, or not, right? And it depends on where you physically draw the line on the drive. Whereas with an SSD, it's just an intellectual question of, well, is, is that, you know, do you want to define that as being part of partition A or part of partition B? And nothing, no data needs to move. Ne- necessarily, it could, but uh, it wouldn't have to. So I, yeah, I wonder if we're going to see more of that. And, and if the whole concept of fixed partition sizes potentially goes away with SSD, right? I mean, just to find, I want this stuff in, in you know, I want, a, I want a virtual wall here, but, you know, I want to be able to move the wall. And in fact, I want to let the system move the wall so that if I need more space on my documents partition, it moves to my, you know, I don't know. It, 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 it brings up a lot of questions. Uh, it's up, up to the, uh, the OS engineers to decide how to implement it, of course, but uh, it's, it would be interesting. Yeah. yeah. But I'm with you because there is no reliance upon physical location, right? Both performance and, and I would think, yeah, the repartitioning would would just happen because you eliminate this this dependency on things being in a certain place. There is really no physical mapping anymore. Right, right, right. All right, let's um, let's go to Paul here, John. I know how you like aperture questions, and Paul delivers. John, uh, Paul says. I have a question about Aperture. Why doesn't Aperture compress pictures for email like iPhoto does? It's crazy to try to email a six gig, and of course he meant six megabyte photo to somebody. Uh, is there a solution? I wonder why Apple didn't give as much attention to this uh, premium app as the free iPhoto. So go, John. Oh, hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was paying attention. I, I was just reading reading my response. Ah, okay. Uh, make sure I get this right. So, yes, of course, he's not creating six gigabyte photos. Right, uh, right. Because that'd be insane. Though I'm sure some cameras may produce that. But yeah, so he was saying six megabytes, which is still pretty hefty for a lot of email systems and that they may not like that. I, I think some are limited to, well, no, that uh, six megabytes, I think a lot of email systems will barf on. Fortunately, in Aperture, there is a way to do it. Now, it's, it's a combination. So, so if you go into Aperture, you go to the preferences, there's export preferences. And there are two choices here. One is email using. And if you click on that menu, it will list the email programs that Aperture detects on your system. So one, I don't, I don't know if he explicitly said he was using mail app. I don't believe he did. He didn't say... So I'm going to assume that he's not because if, and, and I tried this, if you click on a photo in Aperture and then you click on Mail, which is across the top of the screen, it'll launch Mail app, include the photo, and then the lower right-hand corner of the Mail window, it's going to list the number of options. Uh, and it's going to be an image size menu. And I tried this, and for example, I had a photo that was uh, about five megabytes or four point eight megabytes. Okay, but in the menu were three other choices: small, which resulted in a forty nine k file; medium, which w- resulted in one forty five kilobytes; or large, which came out to about five hundred four kilobytes. All kilobytes, 
now of course you know it's smaller resolution so you know the the recipient's not going to get the you know full glorious quality of the full size picture but you you'll have to determine what's appropriate i mean it shows it to you what it's going to look like sure yeah or you could say actual size in which case you know in this case it's going to it would send the entire 4.8 megabytes so uh now, also, there is another choice, email photo export preset. And this is a menu that gives you a whole boatload of options. And the default is JPEG original size. But there's another one, JPEG, I think 50%. And a whole bunch of other options, which will constrain or, or set the format uh, of what you want to email. So that's another place to look. And actually, you can create your own if you really want to. So between these two, so number one, Use Mail app because it's going to give you some options. And number two, you may want to refine or choose something else in the email photo export preset menu. All right. But it does it, and it does it, it, does it quite well. Well, cool. That's, uh, that's a good thing, right? If you want to email your photos, personally, <laughs> I'd toss them up on you know, Flickr. Or, yeah. Well, I don't, I don't know about... Uh, well, <laughs> some options may be changing, like some of the Apple uh, supported. I don't know if we want to dive into that too much. But yeah, something like Flickr or another web-based option may, may be another way you want to think about sharing right. photos. Right, right, Or even Dropbox. Dropbox has that built in. It even gives you a little slideshow if you, uh, yeah, if you drag do. your photos into a photo folder, which is kind of neat. Which is cool. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, let's, uh, let's go to Lisa. She has uh, an interesting question. Uh, Lisa writes, I'm hoping you can help me out uh, here. I, I have this 27-inch pre-Thunderbolt iMac running Snow Leopard since January. Uh, I got it set up with a Magic Mouse and wireless keyboard, both Bluetooth, at the Apple Store, and it all worked when I got home. So I have never had to set up anything with Bluetooth on my own. Uh, this morning, to my surprise, my husband sees uh, on the screen a message that has the Bluetooth icon and a blank fill in the password box and a message that says type your password to pair this Bluetooth device and the option to reject down below. Uh, uh, I just clicked uh, reject as the mouse and keyboard were all working fine. I have no idea why this message came up and I've never seen it with any of my Macs ever. So I went to system preferences, Bluetooth, and found that uh, not only were my wireless keyboard and mouse set up as noted above, but were listed two unnamed devices uh, in the uh, in the list. So here's my question: Can anyone think of why this message popped up? Uh, and uh, you know, is it uh, we live in a, a high-rise condo, so maybe it was a neighbor searching? We do not have a wireless network and connect via DSL, so I can't imagine that's the case. Uh, more important, can I delete these two mystery items and uh, and? really what's going on. So she sent us a screenshot of these things. And sure enough, if you go into the system preferences, Bluetooth, you see she's got her Apple wireless keyboard listed and it says it's connected. She has her Apple wireless mouse listed and it's connected. And then there are two other devices with the generic Bluetooth icon, a series of uh, six pairs of numbers and letters, and both of them say not connected. So John, I know you and I dove into this the same way because I, I know you're I know you're a geek, right? I missed the part where she said she's in a condo. Now it all of a sudden is very clear to me exactly what's happening. But go I, on. okay, because I actually I, I I think we have two different ideas, which is great. So uh, these and, and the you know the the addresses start out as uh, you know zero zero dash zero a dash ninety five and then go on to to other things. And off the top of my head, I knew what some of these numbers meant, but I, I, it was late last night when I was prepping the show, so I typed it into Google anyway, and 
I confirmed, uh, these numbers, Bluetooth, like airport, like Ethernet, everything is assigned an a Mac address, not because it's on a, an Apple Mac computer, but because uh, it is its media access control number. And this is a unique number to the device, and it allows it to be uh, distinctly addressed over whatever network it's connected to. And I use the term network. Bluetooth is its own type of wireless network uh, in, a, in a very loose sense. So these MAC addresses uh, have some identifying data in them, and both of these, as they start with 000A95, uh, are Apple MAC addresses, which means that this group of addresses was assigned to Apple for them to uh, then go on and assign to their devices at will. And it's almost like a serial number, in a sense, because it's unique to the device. What she didn't show us was if you if you click on any Bluetooth de- device, it will show you its MAC address. And my bet is that something happened. Uh, the computer got confused at boot time about something for some reason, and it saw your two Bluetooth devices, your Apple wireless keyboard and Apple wireless mouse, as not paired and added them to its list. You hit reject. Now it leaves it on the list as something that was rejected for the sole reason that it doesn't want to keep pestering you about something that you've already made a, you know, an explicit decision about here. And, uh, and they're sitting there. But my guess is that those two addresses match exactly with the addresses for your wireless keyboard and wireless mouse. And it was just some glitch that caused them to come up and ask you again. Assuming that's the case, and you can confirm it just by clicking on the Bluetooth list and looking. I've seen this before. Then you can just delete those and uh, delete the unconnected ones, and the connected ones will stay fine, and, and life will be good as you know it. That's, that's, that's my guess on this, John. But it could be something else. Oh, wait. So, so you think it was the device's... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, att- uh, okay. Well, I, I'm going to... Violently, Vi- violently disagree. Please do. Please do. <laughs> well, no, the, the reason I say this is as follows. So we do have a screenshot, Dave, of the two devices that are already paired. Correct. And the one device that is already paired has an address that begins with C42C03. So. Oh, we do. I, de- I missed okay. that screenshot. Oh. Hey, we're, we're a team. So I suspect uh-huh. is... There's a uh, there's a nosy Nancy somewhere in your condo or, or uh, uh, whatever you want. <laughs> no, I, I think what happened is is uh, so the good news is that you have some uh, new Mac owners nearby or someone who just decided, hey, what's this Bluetooth thing? Let me turn it on. So they turned it on. They started to do a scan and they saw, hey, look at that Oscar's computer. That sounds interesting. Let me try to pair with it. Well, the Bluetooth devices would try to do that. A keyboard and a mouse will try to pair automatically without the user attempting anything um, because you need that, right? I mean, you, you know, they've got to be able to pair so that you can use the, the computer. Oh, sure. What, what I think is someone intentionally, so they, they went to Bluetooth, right. they turned it on, and then they, st- they, they wanted to do a, you know, a file share operation, I think. Yeah, it could be, or it could be another keyboard and mouse. Right from so, let's say somebody got it a could new. Could be, but the address is different enough. So because the, both of the addresses we were given were zero 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 a nine five. I'm going to guess that those are computers, because it looks like the keyboard and the mouse have a different class C five and all that. Though could be it it, it. it. I think it's pretty impossible to say unless you ask Apple exactly what that device is. Right. 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 
Yeah, I don't have, of course, I don't have any of my Bluetooth devices with me, so I can't tell you what my wireless mouse is uh, uh, or my wireless trackpad's address is here. But, yeah, okay, yeah, uh, yeah. No, there's something, for example, I'm starting up right now. So there's a little uh, program called Bluetooth File Exchange. Okay. I'm not quite sure exactly how to uh, start it. But at some point, you could say, okay, scan around for other Bluetooth devices that are sharing. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So that's what I suspect is someone stumbled across the part that, that perhaps does a file share and either accidentally or intentionally clicked on your computer because it looked like something. Right. Right. They hadn't seen before. Yeah, potentially. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. It's right. As you said, it's impossible to know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's possible, but but just the. Uh, it's impossible yeah, that, that, for us to know with what we have. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Well, just for kicks here, I'm going to look on my mini and just see the class of us. Uh, so right now I'm connected with Ethernet, and let me look here. Is it going to show me my MAC address? Uh, here it is, Ethernet. No, that's also, okay, no, C42C. So so I wonder if it's an older or just, yeah, different class of MAC. If anybody knows what 000A95, if, if that corresponds to any class of Apple machine, I'd like to know, because like you, Dave, I looked it up and all it said was Apple Computer Inc. Right, right. Your, your Skype connection has fallen apart again. You're, you're down in quality a little bit. We'll, but we'll see if it, if it simply comes back like it did before as we uh, as we. Re- oh. oh, I see that on my screen. As yes. we read the next question. It has gone down. Maybe I've got to talk more. No, no, no it, 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 that didn't help it. And it, it sometimes does, but uh, you know, not, not this time. Uh, let's see. Uh, JT writes, My problem is I keep getting a message from Time Machine that says... Time Machine could not complete the backups. No backup disk has been selected. It started to occur after I chose a different way, using SuperDuper, of backing up. Uh, I ran Onyx to see if that would solve the issue, as I believed it may have been a cache or index-related problem, but the problem persisted. I deleted my cache from both the uh, Mac uh, hard drive library file and from my user file. AppleCare has not been helpful, but... They have opened a case for me. Short of nuking and paving, I'm not sure of a resolution. Any help you could provide would be great. This is on a quad-core iMac with an i7 processor with 10.6.7 installed. It should be noted that I did restore from a Time Machine backup when setting this machine up a few weeks ago. Okay, um, I run into issues like this when I travel. And the reason is that I monkeyed around with Time Machine settings using an unsupported, uh, at least Apple unsupported, app called Time Machine Editor. I don't like Time Machine. We've talked about this before. And my guess is that perhaps, JT, you use Time Machine Editor or something like it to define your own custom schedule with Time Machine. If you're someone who went ahead and moved to a different type of backup, you might have been someone who tried to tweak Time Machine and make it work for you. When you do that, uh, there are two things that happen. Number one, you turn off Time Machine. And it's worth checking to make sure that Time Machine is off in your system preferences. But my guess, JT, is that it is uh, because you've probably already checked that. But that doesn't matter. Time Machine being off uh, is actually a requirement for using one of these other methods because something else is scheduling your Time Machine backup when you use Time Machine Editor. Uh, so you may need to launch Time Machine Editor. The easiest way would be to launch that one last time and in its lower left-hand corner, flip from on to off, and that will remove the entry from launch D that fires up your backup at uh, whatever interval you had uh, previously defined. So th- that's, that's going to be my guess on this one, John. I don't know if you have any other thoughts. That, that's my only guess. Yeah, yeah, okay. 
Well, it's a good guess. Uh, our third sponsor for this show, and we are happy to have them back, is Stitcher at uh, stitcher.com slash MGG. Uh, Stitcher is a free app available for your uh, iPhone or iPad or Android device or BlackBerry. They've, they've gone nuts. Uh, and it's for listening to podcasts, including, of course, Mac Geek Gab. Uh, the cool part is there's no syncing with your computer. There's no uh, downloading that you have to do. You simply navigate and press play. Uh, you can make uh, podcast favorites so that you can easily get to uh, your favorites, or you can search through their whole uh, directory and play right from there. Uh, when you sign up, uh, you create an account uh, in the app. You do this all in the app. And really the best path for all of you uh, is to simply download the app to your device of choice from the from Apple Store or from your Android Store or whatever. When you sign up, it's going to ask you to put in your email address and create a password. It's also going to ask you if you have a promo code. This is something you want to enter. The promo code is, as you might guess, MGG. And the reason you want to enter the promo code is twofold. Number one, it's automatically going to go into the directory and add MacGeekGab as a favorite for you, so you don't need to change that. Presumably, if you're hearing this ad here, uh, you're, you would want to do that. Number two, uh, and this is the cool part, uh, again, uh, for the second month in a row, they are giving away an iPad 2 to a lucky listener that signs up this way. So you, you definitely want to, want to sign up this way. Uh, I've used Stitcher. Uh, you know, since I became a sponsor, I started. Uh, I, I like to play with all the apps that uh, that we that we talk about here, so that we've got some familiarity, and we make sure that they're actually going to work for you, and they're not, uh, you know, problematic. And and this one was great. Uh, I, I actually really like it because I don't need to think ahead. I don't need to sync. I don't need to download. I don't need to refresh. I don't need to do anything. I just go in and I press play, and it starts playing. So very, very cool stuff. Uh, Stitcher.com slash MGG is where you can go to get all the instructions that I just explained to you here, uh, but, but it is an easy URL to remember. So uh, Stitcher.com slash MGG, and, uh, and that's where we go. We've got time for a couple more here, John. You know, um, I, tweeted last, yes. I tweeted last night uh, that we were doing our show this morning, and... I got a ton of and saying if there, anybody had any questions about you know what went on at the keynote and and all of that support all of that stuff uh, and I had some people had quite a, we had a lot of people respond um, and and I'm going to go through some of the questions here some of these we don't know uh, without a lion family pack must my wife and I each buy and download the twenty nine ninety nine install I'm assuming yes the answer of course is no twenty nine ninety nine covers you for I believe. 10 Macs, right? The Mac App Store is good for 10 Macs uh, and anything you buy from there. So I think you're, you're good to go. Um, what happens to websites now hosted on MobileMe? So MobileMe is going away, and we'll talk about this a lot more in a future episode, but you know, MobileMe is being replaced by something that Apple is calling iCloud. Uh, one of the things that Apple has specifically not been clear about is the future of uh, the the sites hosted there that you've published, so that, that we don't have that answer, and 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 no one has that answer. They, if Apple, I don't even know if Apple has made the decision yet. Uh, presumably, they 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 might have, but uh, but they're not talking. So so there is no They've, answer. Well, they talked a little bit. There is one article that I found. It, it makes some of it clear, Dave. Okay, you may have seen this one, but it's. Uh, 
Yes, a support article. I am just the support article whiz. You are. I don't know, but HT4597, information about the mobile me transition. And the most that they say here is that, so number one, and this is nice. So if you have a me.com or a mac.com email address, you can keep that. Because I have a Mac.com app. Right, so, right. You know, it's got kind of a vanity address now because I assume you won't be able to get one of those. In. Well, actually, you haven't been able to get some. I think, well, yeah, I think the day of getting that is over. That's right. You, you That's right. do mobile me. Right. But they do say that your mobile be mail, contacts, calendars, and bookmarks will transition. But yeah. like you said, they don't mention anything about your websites. Because I use iWeb. I like iWeb. I think it's a great piece of software. Yeah, it's been neglected. You're not alone. And I host it. And I host it. On mobile me now you don't have to you can you, as far as I know you can publish it to another site but it's just such a nice integration so I hope they refresh it or at least keep that keep that in there yeah yeah uh, yeah that that those seem to be that seems to be we are dominated with uh, with iWeb questions uh, one person asks what is to become of website hosting of course and photo gallery on mobile me these are the two main reasons I pay for the service. I think photo gallery is going to change uh, substantially with this whole iCloud concept of your, you know, your photos are all in the cloud for 30 days and, and then, you know, off they come. I, I, we need to, we need to learn more about that, but, but I think, I think photo galleries will, will change dramatically with, uh, with, with iCloud from what I, from what I understand. And, uh, let me just make sure, let me see what else we've got here, John. No, I think that's. I think that'll do it. Um, yeah. Anything? Uh, anything? Was, was there another question? You seemed to get excited when I I said there were more questions. So uh, was there was there someone specific you wanted to uh, you wanted to address? Oh, if not, I, if not, of course, I I can take us in a completely different direction. Well, no, I saw. I, uh, I mean, we got Andrew. All right. No, I kind of like that one. Okay. Or Ahanu. Let's or... let's do let's do Andrew. This is good. This is good. Uh, Andrew writes, About two days ago, I got a screensaver engine pop-up window asking me if I would like to open this screensaver engine application for the first time. I thought this was strange because I have run screensavers before and have never heard of this application. I did try to Google a solution but ran across a few confusing forum posts. I was also hesitant to try to fix this on my own because of the recent Mac Defender news circulating about, so I didn't click open. I've gotten this pop-up only when the computer tries turning the screensaver on and I've clicked cancel. Can you help? I've tried repairing disk permissions, but that didn't seem to do the trick. John? As far as I can tell, I, I searched and there is a service in Mac OS X that is the cause of this as well as some other issues. And it's, it's launch services, Dave. Okay. I think we've touched on this before. Yep. But from what I can tell, that's the part of the OS that's responsible for generating this message. Which is usually a good thing. And the first time you run an app, it says, hey, by the way, you, you know, <laughs> just want you to know I haven't run this before, you know, which is good if you get malware or something like that because the message should come up. But in this case, I think what this indicates is the launch services database or cache is corrupted. Okay. And what I would recommend is that you get our Palonix. They have a maintenance section and then a rebuild subsection and there's a little checkbox next to launch services. 
so that that's what I do, and I think that's going to clear the problem up. I and, think so. And we asked, uh, you know, give that a shot, and if you still have the problem, then then get back to us. I, I think there's also a way you can dig into the system. I think there's also a cache that I, I don't know if I. Uh, I think it's in system caches or system library caches. There is a uh, file with the title "Launch Services." I suppose you could. I, I think that's what a uh, what Onyx is getting rid of. Uh, yeah, I think that's. I think that's right. Um, I, I think that. I think this also has to do with code signing. Um, in that, if we've talked about code signing before, and, I, and I'm going to. Bear with me because I'm going to explain this in a way that is uh, correct on the surface but likely very wrong under the hood. Uh, with code signing, what you do is is the developer of an application registers with Apple saying, I am this company. And Apple does this too. So Apple registers with themselves saying, we are Apple. And then they, you, Apple issues you a certificate that you bake into your application. And then that's... That way, your Mac knows that this app was actually written by the company that they say they are. And once you have an app that is code signed, uh, you can, as the user, give it permission to run the first time or access uh, certain resources the first time. And then because it's code signed, the system will happily remember that setting for you and persist it so it's not pestering you. If something happens with that code signing, though, even if you keep giving it permission, it might come back. And off the top of my head, I don't think launch services is where that's stored, but it might be. I, it, I thought it was something about the keychain, uh, and I'm not, I'm not certain that code signing the issue here, but I've seen it with, with third-party apps, and I've also I've seen it even with Apple apps where it just keeps coming and asking you, and it's in, an indication that there's some problem in it. I think a keychain repair fixed that for me once, which was bizarre. But uh, um, but I, I don't know. I, I I I did some searching on this last night. It was late. Uh, I didn't find a magic answer. But it, if that doesn't help, Andrew, let us know, and we will dig deeper into this for you. Hmm. Yeah. I remember this. This was a problem at one point with iTunes. iTunes had right. the correct signature, and it would get the. F and what would happen is the firewall would keep coming up, saying, "Hey, you want to allow incoming connections?" Yeah, yeah. I think we determined that was due to a faulty signature, and you had to re-download uh, iTunes. That's right. Reinstall it to fix it. Now, in this case, of course, this program is buried in the. Yeah, you'd have to do deep a, in the OS, so you'd have to yeah do a do a, you know, the most recent software update, reapply that, and that may get rid of it too. Right. 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 Uh, all right, let's, um, you know, so, uh, we've been having fun when we do our premium episodes, of course, uh, for those of you that, that get the premium feed, you get the full episode. Uh, for those of you that don't get the premium feed, uh, we put a little placeholder out there and we've been having some fun with, uh, with these placeholders lately. Uh, first we started putting, uh, tips in there. So instead of just saying, Hey, if this is the placeholder for show 334, thanks very much. Have a good weekend. Bye. Uh, we started putting, taking one tip out of the, uh, out of the show to, to, you know, to, to share with you, to give you at least some, uh, you know, something there to, uh, to listen to as well as, uh, uh, encourage you, in fact, to uh, to subscribe because we definitely appreciate uh, your support. We've also uh, last week we were having some fun and uh, we we ran a little contest, which was great. Uh, I, I think people had a lot of fun with it. And the contest was we played a little tag at the end of the episode, as we often do, and we 
and, and, and we said, if you can identify where this came from, we'll give the first three correct answers uh, a, a free six-month premium subscription or, or an, an add-on to your premium subscription. Of course, we thought of this after we finished recording the premium episode. So premium members were not aware of this contest. Uh, they were certainly eligible, uh, but weren't aware unless you followed us on Twitter where we re-explained it and said if you, if you know what it was because it was the same tag that we used at the end of the premium episode. So uh, that tag, I'm going to play it, and then we're going to tell you what it was. And, John, you're going uh, to to tell us who the uh, winners were since you were you were manning the desk for us here but here is that tag gotcha. all right that was it so i'll give you one last second to uh to remember what it was and then john you're gonna you're gonna tell him i am yeah, go. Is one second done? It's done. Oh, and my, my bandwidth looks like it's up again. You're back. So You're good. what was that? Now, we, we didn't ask what the song was, and some people responded with that. What we're asking is where it came from, which I think was the original. And where it came from is an old Apple II game called Dung Beatles. And this is the little song or sound that it would play when the Beatles consumed you. You run around a maze and you, you eat the dung, I guess. And yeah, if, if, if they got you, that's what you heard. And they say, we got you. Well, and, and that, you know... It, it, for those of us now, especially you know, knowing that we're recording this audio and doing it over Skype and it's all digitized and everything is, sounds crystal clear, when, at least when it does, uh, it, this is not a big deal. But on the Apple II, to get the tone generator to generate something that could be interpreted as speech by the human ear was nothing short of miraculous uh, at the time. And, and so this, to me anyway, John, you, you may have had a different experience, but for me, this was the first time I ever had my computer talk to me, it was when I died the first time playing Dung Beetles. So, uh, so this was a, a very cool thing and a very geeky thing. Of course, it goes way, way back, and, and, uh, and not everyone <laughs> would have remembered it, but that's kind of the fun of, the, uh, of that yeah. contest. So we're going to do more of these. I can't promise we're going to do one every time we put out a, uh, a premium episode, but mm. we're sure going to try. And in fact, we need your help. Uh, so, so first of all, John, uh, tell us about our, our, our winners. T- John, tell us who they are okay. and what they've won. <laughs> Hope I get the names right here. So uh, uh, I believe this is in order in which they answered. It so is. Kent Yamachi, Adam Behrens. Yeah, I, right. I definitely think and you've got Neil it right. Bernstein. All right. Cool. So they were the first three to come back and say Dung Beetle. And, you know, I remember this too, Dave, is that I think the Apple II only had a command to click the speaker. That's that it. was it. That's and it. And people, uh, uh, my first game I remember was Castle Wolfenstein. Oh, you know, yeah. Where I heard the speaking. I, yeah, I still think for me it was Dung Beetles. I, certainly Wolfenstein did that too. You're right. You're right. Yeah. But I remember writing apps. I, I wrote a thing to play Happy Birthday. I spent all afternoon, I got home from school, it was my stepmom's birthday, and I got home from school and I hadn't gotten her present or anything because, you know, I was like, I don't know, whatever, 12. But I thought, oh, you know what I can do? I can do something really cool. So I, I wrote a little thing that, that, um, that clicked the speaker at the right intervals to play the song Happy Birthday. So not only did I have to click it at the right frequency to, to play the note, but you know, also timing and all that stuff. I wrote this in basic. It took me you know, an hour or whatever in the afternoon. I tweaked it out. I had it play you know, on the screen. I had it show her Happy Birthday, Happy Birthday, and I made a little kind of graphic thing with text ASCII graphics, of course. And, uh, and then the cool part was I took all this, I saved it, I made a bootable floppy, five and a quarter inch floppy. I haven't thought about this since the day I did it. This is awesome. Uh, and I saved it, you know, I saved this to this bootable floppy. I made it 
the hello program, right, which meant it would run when you booted. So I told her, I, you know, I wrapped it up and I handed it to her that night. And I said, here's what you're going to do. And she was totally, you know, petrified of, of computers at this point in her life because she just didn't, you know, didn't use them all that much. Most, most adults at that point did not uh, use computers unless they had had decided to use them for their jobs or whatever, but it, it wasn't like it was today. And uh, so she went over to the computer, you know, trepidation. She slid the disc in. I had to show her how to close the drive door. She flipped the power switch on. It booted up, you know, with its, with its classic little boot up sound. The floppy synced up and, uh, and it launched a little thing and played her happy birthday. And we all, you know, had a wonderful little family moment that, that we've, I'm sure, all completely forgotten about until right now. But it was cool. But yeah, you had to click that speaker. That's all you could do. That was pretty cool. Uh, John, we need we, we need our we need the help of our listeners because uh, as cool as the stuff that we can come up with for these contests is, we can't come up with all of it. So not only will we give out a uh, free uh, coupon for six months free of premium, and this is valid for either existing premium members or new folks, uh, but uh, we will give out a coupon code to someone who sends in a suggestion of a contest for us to do that we use. So, uh, so potential extra wow. opportunity, right? Yeah, good. So send in your stuff, folks. We, uh, we look forward to, to doing it uh, and, and having some fun with it. A couple of cool things found. I, um, in fact, one of them I'm using right now. So normally at home, John, I have the computer where I have you know our audio software running and Skype running, and I play the the songs and uh, the, the audio comments and read the text, but uh, but I have a paper I print a paper copy of our agenda because I like to be able to you know scratch things on it really quickly and cross things out so I know what we've discussed and what we haven't, and uh, I just don't want to have to switch to an app to do that. Of course. I don't have a printer with me in my room, and so typically when we do this on the road, I have to just bounce around and, and mess with the agenda right there in, in Yojimbo. And today, I thought about a guy I interviewed yesterday, and I believe the interview should be going up uh, on TMO at some point today, and that was Mr. Dan Bricklin. Uh, Dan Bricklin, uh, well, now he makes an app called Notetaker HD, uh, which is what I'm using. I pulled uh, a copy of this file in, and you can just draw right on the file. It's totally meant for people that that they're doing exactly what I described, where you just want to use your hand, you know, sometimes, you know, making very quick, quick mo- motions and notes. Dan described it as, you know, if you are typing in a phone number and you mistakenly click or tap three instead of two, you've got the number wrong, right? But if you mistake, if you write a, a two that's unclear, uh, that's, you, you're still going to know that it's a two versus a three, so he said it's, you know, it's much more efficient to just jot down using your finger a phone number or a pen. And so that's what this does. So I've been using NoteTaker HD, and, uh, and it's been perfect to uh, approximate that, which I'm used to at home. Of course, you can read the interview, but Dan also was involved. Uh, he was one of the, uh, the, the co-writers of uh, a little thing called VisiCalc back in the day, which was, you know, you want to talk about going back to the Apple II and, and all that stuff. That was the first killer PC app. So... Pretty cool stuff. Uh, so that's the first one. Notetaker HD. I believe it's four ninety nine for the iPad in the App Store. Yeah. So it's running on my iPad and it's right here next to me. And I posted a picture of to Twitter of my setup earlier, and, uh, and so you can you can just see kind of how it's all all set up. Uh, what else do we have on cool stuff found here, John? Uh, let's see. David. David writes. 
uh, found an app called On Voice Feed. Uh, it provides individual personalized voicemail messages for all the contacts on your iPhone. Uh, it is available in, I believe, the UK, France, and the USA. Uh, it's a free app, uh, and you can you can check it out in the uh, in the App Store. I have not uh, I have not used it. But it's got some cool stuff. So not only could I like set up a voicemail that only plays when, say, you call, John, and uh, or only plays when my wife calls, or I could set it up for a group of contacts. But I could all you can also script it. So I can say, you know, it, it'll it'll do text to speech, and so I could say, you know, say hi and then first name, and it and when you call, it'll say hi, John. You know, not in my voice, of course, but uh, you know, but in 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 this computerized voice, but it's still customized to you, or you know, it'd say hi to my wife or whatever. So uh, that's it's pretty cool. It's free in the app store, so check it out and see uh, see how it works. And then Jeremy wrote in and uh, said, "I know you guys, and John, I think he did this for you. Uh, I know you guys like knowledge base articles, and I know you like error codes. And uh, there is a knowledge base article." TS3694, uh, which lists all the error codes and what they mean for iTunes, which is pretty darn cool because so many times we see error codes and, and, uh, and they're just, you know, we don't know what they mean. So, uh, so I, I, like, I like that. So thanks, Jeremy. That was pretty cool. <sighs> Anything else, John? Why, why not just, just say what the error means in plain English? I, well, whatever language you prefer. That's, a, that's an answer we will... N- yeah, you know, that actually might be it. They don't want to have to localize every answer. You might have hit yeah. on it, John. Yeah. Because we... And why, that, that's, that's why you localize your apps. That's why you... Uh, okay. All right. Uh, I'll attribute it to laziness. Maybe. That, that would... Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, assuming I'm doing this right, and I think I just brought the band in... Wow, you brought him with you? Yeah, you know, hey, we we don't uh, we don't mess around. You know, I'm actually staying at the Westin this time. I mentioned that during uh, the premium show at 3:34 that I was, I was staying at the Westin this week. Um, you know, we've worked with the Intercontinental for about the last 18 months, uh, doing promos. Great hotel, I love the place. The problem is, so does everyone who books an event at uh, the Moscone, and because of that, uh, you'll notice we didn't do a hotel promo for WWDC this time. And that's because the hotel was blocked out from being able to do so because of the relationships they made with uh, the, you know, the, the folks at, the, well, well, Apple, right? You know, and that's it's very common that uh, that hotels uh, work with, you know, the event managers and all that stuff. Uh, I've been a Starwood member for years and and have always liked Starwood hotels. And years ago, a couple of years ago, uh, Starwood bought the Argent, which is now what they've turned into the Westin Market Street. And I thought, well, you know, let me let me try the Westin this time. See if uh, perhaps this is an option for us to do as a uh, as a you know a, a, a deal hotel for for future events, perhaps for for MacWorld next year. And I have to say, I love the place. Uh, they warned me before I showed up that I was not necessarily going to love their internet access, uh, which of course is a huge component of us selecting a hotel. I have to say, for me, it's actually been totally fine. Now, I'm not using it. I'm using the clear 4G for us to do this show uh, because even at hotels where Internet access is great, it's not reliable enough and consistent enough to hold a two-hour-long Skype conversation. Uh, and I, I'd like to roll my own access for that. But otherwise, I've been using the access here at the hotel, and it's been it's actually been fast and fine. What they warned me about was that when the, 
the Argent, when the people were here that, that ran the Argent, uh, when they put in their you know high speed throughout, it was not done as it needed to be for it to be up to date today. Uh, and so there are pockets of the hotel where you don't get Wi-Fi. And, and if they're totally, they say if they're totally crowded that, you know, the internet slows down. I have not experienced that. Uh, and clearly, you know, there's plenty of people here with lots and lots of, uh, of devices. But, uh, but they said that uh, this summer uh, they are totally gutting the entire infrastructure and rebuilding it very sim- in a very similar way to what the Intercontinental did, uh, you know, when they built that just two years ago. So, so I have I have good hopes for uh, for MacWorld Expo, and we may in fact wind up working with them here. We'll see if we can we'll see if we can put something together and see if it's something that works out for, uh, frankly, for the hotel and for you folks. And uh, if we can get a little something out of it, we do. But otherwise, we really, it, you know, it's it's more about making sure that uh, we've found a place where you folks are going to enjoy staying. So, so that's uh, that's that. John, we mentioned Twitter before. We mentioned a lot of things. You want to tell them uh, how how they can get in touch with us? First way would be to call us, Dave. Holy moly, I you're had to loud. call us. Yeah. No, it's good. What's happening here? No, 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 you're fine. It, it's just me. I, I've, I've got to adjust my own levels on this end. So it, my, my setup today isn't perfect, so you kind of you kind of blew me away with that. But that's okay. Keep going. Okay. But I would call us at 206-666-GEEK, which is? 4335. You can, of course, email us to feedback at macgeekgab.com. Remember, that's feedback at MacGeekGab.com. As John reminded you, that's feedback at MacGeekGab.com. And we appreciate you sending in not only your text emails, but pictures, videos, and anything else that might help illustrate your question. Uh, It's tough for us to read four pages of email about one problem. So if you can uh, cut that down either by being simply more concise or... Uh, including screenshots because pictures are worth, you know, several thousand words a piece. Uh, that, that helps us quite a bit. So. Mm-hmm. It helps us help you. Twitter, uh, MacGeekGab, twitter.com slash MacGeekGab will get you uh, all the info about the show and occasional little things that we post. Uh, Dave Hamilton is me. John F. Braun is that guy. Mac Observer is the Mac Observer. Pilot Pete, of course, is Pilot Pete. Michael Johnston is Michael Johnston on Twitter. He's also the Michael Johnston that converts this show to AAC for you. Thank you very much, Michael. You've been doing that for us for six years. Wait a minute, John. We haven't... Oh, no. Our our our, uh, our six-year anniversary is coming up in, like, four days, isn't it? Is it? I think so. Uh, you know, oh, wait. Oh, Facebook. If you check our right. Facebook page at facebook.com slash MacGeekGab, uh, you will see uh, that we've listed our... Inception date, if you will, which really is just the first yeah, I, date that uh, that we published. So, what what is that date, John? Oh, oh you're not there. Info. Okay. No, I'm there. June thirteenth, thirteenth, two thousand five. Yeah. So that'll be Monday. So we'll actually be doing a show on our sixth anniversary. That's awesome. That's awesome. Maybe, 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 maybe we'll try to stream the audio, but there's no promises. I would like to get back into the habit of doing just streaming the audio. The video thing was uh, CPU and bandwidth-wise non-optimal for us or for you. But uh, but uh, for the audio, that, that, it could work. So. And, uh, well, gosh, John, I, uh, Cashfly, of course, provides all of the bandwidth to get this from us to you. And I know we appreciate it, and I know you folks appreciate it, too. The podcast marketplace includes... The A5 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, the Ojimbo from Barebones Software, 
text expander from Smile, Notebook from Circus Ponies, Stitcher.com slash MGG, and the new sponsor this month, you'll hear more about Drobo, at, uh, or Data Robotics at Drobo.com. Uh, all through Backbeat Media. Folks, that's it. I'm hoping that this thing recorded at least on uh, John's end, if not on mine, and, uh, and that you've gotten to hear it, because it's certainly been a fun show for us. I hope it's been a fun show for you. As always, we appreciate your premium support. 25 bucks for six months. Uh, you get two extra episodes a month, but you don't have to listen to them if you don't want. Uh, we've had several of you say, I'd sign up, but I don't have time for the extra episodes. We're okay with that. That's fine by us. You can, uh, you can support us, and, <laughs> and, uh, and you don't have to listen. We won't hold it against you. <laughs> All right. Uh, and with that, we, uh, we'll let the band play us out. Did you have anything you wanted to, to say to him, John, as we uh, as we approach the the very end of the show here? No. Stay cool. So stay cool. Have fun, uh, and you know, don't get caught. Mm-hmm.